Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel History by St. Matthew in chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its flavor, how will it become salty again? Then it's no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, they put it on a stand and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine in people's presence so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Amen, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even the smallest letter or even a part of a letter will in any way pass away from the law until everything is fulfilled. So whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and experts in the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel history of our Lord. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I love it when children sing this song, and I loved it as a child making the gestures. But how do we let that light of ours shine? Well, is it... Don't drink, smoke, curse, or chew and stay away from others who do? Is it sticking a bumper sticker on your car that says, my master is a Jewish carpenter, and then driving like a jerk down the road very selfishly? Is it shoving Jesus down the throat of your co-workers and insisting that you have to listen to Christian radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Let's admit it. Lots of times when we're trying to let the light of our face shine, we end up having the opposite impact, don't we? And so today's text is the text that that children's song is based on. And so we will ask that question, how do you let your light shine? Let's skip to verse 17 in our text to answer that question. In verse 17, Jesus says, Do not presume that I came to dismantle the law or the prophets. I did not come to dismantle, but to fulfill. Now, when we hear the word law, we think of the Ten Commandments. All those thou shalt nots, which are summarized by love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But here, Jesus says the law and the prophets. This was what the Jewish people at Jesus' time called what you and I call the Old Testament. For them, that was all the Bible that they had. It's important for us to understand that, yes, Jesus came to fulfill all the law and he fulfilled it, brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, for us, we think of it as nullified. For example, laws on circumcision, those pointed ahead to Christ and he fulfilled them. So we don't need to worry about those anymore. And the Greek word used there literally is is to fill to the full, like pouring a glass so it's full, it's overflowing. Jesus fulfills the law for us. He fulfills the civil, the ceremonial, but he fulfills all the point of the Old Testament about the coming Savior as well. And he continues, Indeed, I'm truly telling you, until whenever heaven and earth pass away, not one dot or one stroke mark will ever pass away from the law until whenever everything has come to pass. 
Now, again, this would include the Ten Commandments, but we're talking about the Law and the Prophets. The Hebrew alphabet, for example, had a yod, which looks like a, a quotation mark, just one of them up at the top. In English, we'd be saying not one dotting of an I, not removing one comma. And brothers and sisters in Christ, let's admit it. If you remove a comma from a sentence, you can change its meaning big time. But Jesus says that they will not pass away from the law until whenever everything has come to pass. This is comfort for you and I, because everything in God's law will be fulfilled. But it's also a warning for us. For there are many who look back at the Old Testament and say, all those people who invented and used an alphabet, they were as dumb as our picture of a Neanderthal living in a cave. Well, this is just stories. We can tear those out and try to come with our own fabled meaning out of this like Aesop's fables. Wrong. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is where the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is able to tell the people of Corinth. He didn't come with the greatest of speech abilities and with the world's wisdom. He says, my message and my preaching were not marked by persuasive words of human wisdom, but by a demonstration of the spirit and power. The Holy Spirit is the true author of all the Bible. And not one comma, not one dotting of an I is to disappear without the fulfillment of Christ. And then for you and I, we keep them. Say, oh, pastor, I hate it when we study those Old Testament books because so and so begat so and so. And you can't do this or you're unclean and then you got to make this sacrifice. All of those were pointing to Christ. All those genealogies show us how God was preserving the, and keeping his promise of the coming Savior. And all those laws, they pointed to how we need a Savior and they're fulfilled by Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the ways we let our light shine is not messing with the word. We have to keep it in its truth and purity because it is, it is there that the Holy Spirit works. It is there that God shows us we need a Savior, and we have a Savior. But there's a warning, because we're sinners, and we do. We do mess with it. I'm not talking about the guy who accidentally in a sermon leaves out the word don't or something, and a member points it out, and the next week he says, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, I was wrong here. Somebody who teaches falsely catches it and teaches correctly to fix it. That's another story. But Jesus tells us in verse 19, therefore whoever dismisses one of these commandments, even the least of them, and teaches other people to do the same, then he will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And again, there in commandments, we think of the Ten Commandments, and we should. But Jesus gave other commands we call them gospel imperatives. For example, go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 19. That's a gospel imperative, but it's still something he wants us to do. If we're to take something and we're to screw with it, I don't like the way the word is teaching here. Let's mess that up a little bit. If I were to teach what itching ears wanted to hear so that I could grow our congregation into a huge church and, and it's proven words of persuasion will do that. What does he say of the person who does this? They may still get into heaven, but they'll be called least. This isn't the sermon to get into it, but there are degrees of glory in heaven. We don't know exactly what that is. But this person is not going to be shining like a light bulb as bright as the Apostle Paul. Now, there's not sin and jealousy. The Apostle Paul clarifies this in, in his epistle to the first Corinthians about a false teacher. He says, he may escape the fire. He might still get into heaven because he's still clinging to Jesus as his Savior. But he's going to have to watch his work be burned up. 
As somebody you have called to be your pastor, I can't imagine standing there and saying, that person went to hell because I gave itching ears what they wanted to hear instead of what they needed to hear. But he says something on the other side of that as well. He says, yet whoever does these commandments and teaches them, this very one will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You stuck to my word and you taught it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Something is being told here as well, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one thing to know what the word teaches, but if what we practice, what we actually do contradicts it, if I were to sit here from this pulpit and rally on about the sanctity of marriage and how that was set up to show God's relationship to his church, and yet I were to turn around and constantly be cheating on my wife, wouldn't you go, huh, that really invalidates the message. When we do different than what we teach, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know you're a sinner. You don't have to live like a righteous Pharisee and, and, and hiding your sin. You don't have to announce it either. What we want to shine through is what Jesus gets through next because we are sinners. We do need a Savior. And if your neighbor does not see in you somebody who knows they need a Savior, you're already teaching wrongly. Your practice, your actions are, are like that person sticking the bumper sticker on and then driving as the most selfish person that I mentioned at the intro. Oftentimes when you knit something, you start with one stitch. And if the knitting falls apart, it eventually gets to that stitch. If you take the wheel of a car or something, there's wheels inside that we call bearings. And there's eventually a central hub. And if you have a problem, it ends up going to that hub. There is one thing in Scripture that no matter what false teaching, no matter how petty it might seem to us, it'll eventually unravel and screw with. Jesus says in verse 20, the last verse of today's text, Indeed, I'm telling you that unless your own righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, then you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. How did the Pharisee think he was saved in Jesus' time? He thought he was righteous of himself. He thought the law saved him, and he thought that was so important they had added 600 other commandments around the law they had to keep in order to be saved. If my salvation depends on my acting holy enough, I'm going straight to hell. And the same for you. Because he says it has to far surpass the scribe and the Pharisee. Not even be a little bit better. Take the most whole person accused of being holy among the Pharisees and you got to blow that out of the water. Adam and Eve had holiness. They had the image of God. Then they stopped trusting that he was a gracious, loving God. They lost that image. If you want to have a righteousness that far surpasses the Pharisees and the scribes, you have to recognize it's not your own righteousness. We are sinners. Letting your light shine begins with teaching a righteousness that is the law's righteousness and showing we fall short of it. But God became a man for us. He lived for you. It's His righteousness. If you want to let your light shine, know your righteousness. You have been credited with a righteousness that was not your own, but now you can consider it your possession. Christ has put his righteousness around you like we wear a winter coat. And so if you want to know how do you let your light shine, know your righteousness. Let it be seen that you're unrighteous in and of yourself. Now, I'm not saying intentionally sin. Don't, you don't have to act like a, like a hypocrite. But let your neighbor know they're not righteous and you're not. And then let them know the righteousness that saves is a free gift. Christ is your righteousness. When you're connected to him, that will shine through. Now let's go back to the beginning of our text. 
Yet you yourselves are the salt of the earth. Now, if salt loses its effectiveness, then in what thing will it be salted? It no longer has power for anything except to be thrown outside in order to be tread down by men. Now, in a modern world, when we think of salt, we think of flavoring. And the Greek word, literally the verb is effectiveness or power, and, and we translate that to tastiness just in this verse for some reason. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't want to make that mistake. See, what salt was used for, especially in a day when there wasn't refrigeration, salt kills particular molds and bacterias. This makes it a preservative. I learned this when I was a kid. I got into tanning hides and we used chemicals. And my dad didn't want me using the chemicals to strip the fur and stuff unless he was there because these could land you in the hospital if you mishandled them. Dad was going to be gone for five days. I got all the fat and all the meat cut off the hide, but I had to get it. I had to use a chemical to clean it and remove the fur. And Dad was going to be gone for five days and it was going to be too warm. And Mom didn't want it in the freezer where she kept her food. So dad had me unroll and spread out that hide and he had me sprinkle rock salt on it. Lo and behold, five days later, that hide was just fine when he was back and we were able to continue our process. Salt is a preservative. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are the preservative. Each one of us are individual grains of preservative. For you know the world needs a savior. And you know that it has a savior. The Roman government tried to do this, and they failed. The book of Revelation tells us it's going to happen until Christ's return, but God will keep his church safe, so this will never happen. But, hypothetically, if somebody were able to wipe off every Christian on the face of the earth and burn every word of God, every copy, the world would cease to exist. It exists for those that God has said will be saved. It exists for you. And you preserve this world because you show the world its sin and you show the world its Savior. How do you let your light shine? Know your righteousness. Use the law to show that we're unrighteous in and of ourselves, but we've been given Christ's righteousness and know what salt does. You preserve the world by doing just that, showing it needs a savior and showing it has a savior who is our righteousness. Now, in verse 14, Jesus continues, you yourselves are the light of the world. A city which has been set upon a mountain cannot be hidden. Neither do they light a lamp and then place it under a measuring bowl. Rather, they place it upon the lamp stand and then it continues to shine for all those in the house. There's a neat picture Jesus gives here. First, he looks at you yourselves, each one of you individually. He places you as a house forming a city on a hill. And then he focuses on your individual houses. So, one candle lit placed in a window. But you have a hundred houses sitting on a hill. Suddenly, in the darkness, you can see that city's there. It can't be hidden. Scripture often refers to Jerusalem as a city on a hill. And Jerusalem was meant to be a picture of the true church, the invisible church of all believers, both Old Testament and New Testament. You, pointing to Christ as our righteousness, our need for righteousness, and that we have righteousness in Christ, you are individual lights. And when we come together, the invisible church forming something that can be seen, local congregation like Lord of Lords, your individual gifts are shining through, and the world of darkness sees the light of Christ. Not all of us are blessed to be speakers in public. Not all of us are blessed to be plumbers and cleaners. But you know what? 
with all of our gifts together, we, Lord of Lords Lutheran Church, are a light on the hill, a visible representation of the invisible church of all believers. But he continues right there in the household. Neither do they light a lamp and then place it under a measuring bowl. This gets translated in different ways, but it was a, a woven bowl that measured out a, a bushel or a shekel. And so it was like our measuring cups today. Now stop and think about this. If this was made out of weaving things, and you have a candle and you're burning, and you take a woven basket and you put it over that candle... One of two things is going to happen. Thing number one, you've got a flame. It's going to catch that bowl on fire. The devil's always trying to snuff your candle. He's always working to make you look bad. Brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we miss the fact as we struggle with our sins, that, that we're, the fact that we're clinging to a Savior and trusting in forgiveness burns that bowl right up that's trying to cover up our light. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the sad thing is the other thing can happen if the flame is low and it doesn't burn that bowl and you cover it up. There's no new oxygen supply coming. The flame will consume all the oxygen and the light is snuffed. When we get weighed down by the cares of the world, when we find God's word isn't eloquent enough for us and we start staying away constantly, we lose it. There's a beautiful picture and a warning here with the faith God feeds. And this is why you constantly come to the word of God is to keep that, that light fed of the oxygen, fed of the wick that is the word of God and keep it burning. And then he tells us exactly what that light is in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine in front of mankind so that they may see your good works and then they may glorify the Father, specifically the one in heaven. The light is your good works. You cannot do good works to be saved. That's what the Pharisee thought. Rather, when you're saved, you do good works. And they're not the good works that the world thinks. Your good works are being done right now as you listen to the word of God. As you learn from it. As you're fed by it. Your good works are done when we show God's love in our heart to our neighbor. And that law that used to sit there and tell us you're unrighteous, you're unrighteous. That law also tells us there's a good work. There's a good work. You're, see, you're showing love to your neighbor, God's love to your neighbor, and your light is shining through. Now, I would mentioned here how the light begins with us individually, goes to a city, and then focuses on the individual house. Never, ever forget that one of the greatest places God has entrusted for our light to shine is right in our home. When we fulfill our vocations as father and mother, our light is shining. When we bring up our children knowing the word of the Lord, our light is shining. But brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the questions in translating is, after mentioning, so they may see your good works and then they may glorify your father. Is he talking about the people who see your good works being brought to faith? Or are they talking about your good works glorifying your father? Somebody may see your good works and reject them. But your good works still glorify the father. People work this weekend without reward. They, they work throughout this week to shovel our church parking lot and, and to clear out our sidewalks. And, and you may never know who those people were. But God does. They did it out of love for God and for you. And it glorified God. And when our neighbor sees our good works and they do soften their heart and they say, Hey, let me ask you about this, Jesus. You know, oh, let me tell you about your righteousness. Yes, then they too are brought to glorify God. It's a privilege God gives us. How do you let your light shine? Know your righteousness, brothers and sisters in Christ. Not your own righteousness, but a righteousness that's been given to you. Christ's righteousness. Know what salt does. You preserve the world by showing them they are unrighteous 
And yet they have been offered free salvation through Jesus Christ, through the faith the Holy Spirit gives. They are given Christ's righteousness. And know your good works. They're not done to save you, but they're done because you love the Father and they bring glory to God. Amen. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.